You've come to hear what Psyche says. I'm Dr. Stephanie Vaughn, a licensed clinical psychologist. And I'm Sarah Kamita, a licensed professional counselor. We're just a couple of therapists without a target audience for this podcast. But hope it can be of some help to someone somewhere. Welcome back to the podcast. Today with us, we have Dr. Angela Koshin. She's one of our beloved psyche psychologists, currently living in Minnesota. So during the course of COVID-19, we've been able to bring her back on as a, a virtual therapist with us, and we're really, really happy to have her back. So welcome, Dr. Koshin. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Well, so today, you know, we're kind of going along the theme of, of COVID-19 and quarantine, and Dr. Koshin has particular experience and expertise um, providing therapy and support to healthcare workers. And so as we know, healthcare workers are the ones that are really um, on the front line right now and could use some extra support. And so we thought we'd do a podcast on, on working with them. How's it been going working with the healthcare workers you've been seeing? What have you been noticing, et cetera? It's been going really well. I think that there's a couple of themes that I've noticed that have kind of come up and then they go down for a little bit and then they rise up again. There's definitely varying levels of anxiety and stress that are coming up. I don't have very many healthcare workers that I'm working with that are on the actual front lines that are COVID healthcare providers. However, most of the healthcare workers have some interaction with COVID patients at some point. Mm -hmm. I think that the biggest problem is that I'm seeing all these levels of anxiety that they're all dealing with on a daily basis. So we've got the anxiety over their own health, which is understandable. We have the general anxiety of caring for these critically ill patients who either already have COVID or are in the hospital for something else and have a really high risk of contracting COVID. Mm -hmm. And so just the stress of managing that has been a lot for a lot of my clients. The obvious anxiety over enough of the personal protective equipment, the PPEs, uh, which has come and gone. And um, along with that, there's been a lot of stress that I've heard about in keeping up with rapidly changing hospital policies, which is really interesting. Go ahead. I'll say that's a good point. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. A couple of my clients have talked about receiving like up to 10 emails a day with changing policies on the PPEs. And so, and then there's stressors that I wouldn't even necessarily think about that go along with that. Like one day it might be that they are supposed to have one set of PPE for each client that they see or each patient that they see. And then the next day it might be that they're supposed to have you know, change PPE for every single patient every single time. Mm -hmm. And so the stress that I see about having one set of PPEs for a specific patient is that, well, what if we then transfer those germs to the next set that I put on and then that carries into the new client or the new patient? And then conversely, when they're having to change them for each patient every single time, there's a lot of stress of what if we run out? What's going to happen? I don't think they should be doing that. We, we haven't hit our peak yet. We don't know what, our, what it's going to look like in a couple of weeks. So a lot of stress that changes every single day, which I'm I really gonna, never would have considered. I'm just going to creep up on the call right now because I don't know that anyone know, knew that I was here. I'm so sorry. No, it's fine. I was like, I wonder how long I can go until I can say something that would be just like a total bust in on discussion between Sarah and Angela. 
Um, yeah, so hello, it's Stephanie Vaughn here. Hello, um, good morning. <laughs> yes, thank you. I've been out here the whole time. I've just been nodding along, but I've been here. And yes, we are very excited to have Angela. I can see that about the changing hospital policies, how, you know, because things change so quickly and then being able to emotionally, psychologically, much less logistically adjust to those changes. The question of, you know, it's very similar to me in when I was working at the VA, veterans and even active duty soldiers of, you know, needing the structure of following through with what you're supposed to be doing. And at the same time, that nagging question from time to time, or maybe daily of, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Is this right? Is this okay? Am I doing more harm than good? And then I'm sure you've experienced or you've heard them talk about I mean, if it's consistent with um, what I know about combat vets is there's this sort of feeling of almost like, you're you're wearing a mask not well not literally literally yes now but that you're wearing a mask to the world in terms of your who you really are that you're presenting some sort of false identity because you know I'm really not a hero like you think I am even though the world sees you as being a hero feeling some sort of you know guilt all the time and about how you can't save everyone or what you're doing you feel like you're doing more harm than good or whatever so there's that next layer of guilt and and shame and feeling false and feeling alone absolutely and the guilt is so pervasive in so many different ways too for example um, i've heard a, a few different people talk about how frustrating it is to have to um, have so much extra work in just just the work that goes into putting on all this PPE and having to change it for each patient and how much time that takes up of their day. Um, and so they get less done during the day than they normally would. And then that's immediately, so the frustration that they acknowledge is immediately followed up by guilt and shame about that. It's not the client's fault. It's not the patient's fault that they have to be protected from this. It's not the people, the hospital's fault that they have these policies. It's nobody's fault that this is happening. And I don't deserve to feel frustration or annoyance about it. Yeah. Um, So I would guess that the same phenomenon is going to happen afterwards that happened after, you know, a lot of the, for the combat vets, a lot of them coming back into the, you know, the, the, the real world, you know, I'm doing air quotes here, but coming back into the world as they knew it, that you don't you don't come back the same way and the perception of for no this is not for all but the perception of those who went to combat for those who didn't is very much like you have no idea what it was like and so there's this distance between them and anybody who was not there and not an active part of you know in combat and in this case in taking care of patients. Yeah. And I can see that that will likely be an issue as we move out of this over the next months or weeks or years, who knows how long it's going to last. Angela, I was just telling Stephanie before you hopped on Zoom that my grandmother lives in assisted living and she fell and broke her hip. And so she had to go to the ER last night. And, you know, 
guilt and guilt from all members of my family not being able to be there with her during this because they still have to protect themselves and you know, like the complications that come along with that. And then I was thinking about the healthcare workers and one, how much more difficult it's going to be for them not having my parents there to help console my grandmother, to help like bring about what the doctors and nurses want to do to help her, you know, as she's in pain yeah, absolutely. and, and, you know, I was just thinking, gosh, like think about how much patience they're going to have to have now that they don't have the support of family members, like, to assist them Mm -hmm. in doing things and console and just how much extra time is going to be needed. And it was overwhelming for me to think about, I couldn't even imagine to be the one doing it without that extra support of family or friends just adds a whole other level of difficulty. Yeah. Carrying that emotional layer along Mm -hmm. with them, which I think especially nurses already do. And now it's a lot heavier than it normally would be. Yeah, for sure. I would think that looking at some of the stuff online for them has to be extraordinarily um, frustrating in terms of seeing people complain about things or seeing people, um, you know, think that they know or providing their opinion about what they should or should not be doing and that how they're already you know, they're already stressed, they're already doing more at their job than they typically are. And then to have people throwing in their, you know, two cents worth in, um, in the comfort of their home with their Netflix or whatever, you know, has to be really invalidating. Uh, What I've heard from people is generally a sense of incredulity of how is it that people don't believe this is happening? You know, even the healthcare workers that I'm working with at that aren't seeing COVID patients specifically, there's no doubt in their minds, you know, based on what their day-to-day jobs look like. And so this sense of incredulity, like, what do you mean you don't believe this is happening? What do you mean you don't believe this is a big deal? How invalidating must that be? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, we bring this up. I think it's important to talk about because I mean, I think if, if ever, the healthcare providers get the time to listen to, you know, a podcast or something. I mean, I think it's important for us to really label all of the things that are completely normal to feel, which is, you know, feeling guilty any which way you turn, that there is no decision that you can make or not make, or, you know, Mm -hmm. there's no way to escape the guilt. There's no way to escape the anger. So I think anger is another part of it that has to be acknowledged. Um, yes, absolutely. Anger toward, you know, their administration, anger toward their colleagues, anger toward the average Joe, anger toward the patient even mm-hmm. that, you know, and then feeling guilty about the anger and whatever so that all of those emotions make sense. Yep. And I think some of the anger that's come up and then the guilt that follows that is anger at a patient who comes in and they don't suspect COVID and then test positive for COVID. And then I've been exposed, that sense of I've been exposed and I didn't know it. Uh, and then the guilt that comes with that. It's not, again, it's not the patient's fault. And yet everybody feels frustrated and some sense of anger about the situation. Right. I would think that there would be such a 
pressure from some of their families to quit, you know, and then yet there's the pressure from, you know, their, their own values or other family members or, or financial. Yeah. Financial, all kinds of different pressures about what they should do because they're kind of in the spotlight. Yeah. And then we have another, um, whole aspect of this, which is we have all these healthcare workers that are being lauded as heroes, which they are, and the people on the front lines and the essential workers in general. And now we have hospitals uh, furloughing a whole lot of their staff. And so they want to be active. They want to be working. They want to be in this role that people have labeled them in. um, And then they're not even able to be. Right. So then the guilt from that. And I think regardless of who, what healthcare worker you are, um, even those working on the front lines, I think there's this sense of fluctuation in, in hopefulness versus hopelessness. And this mm-hmm. like, am I doing, I mean, you know, we've all been at a place before where you just like, am I doing anybody any good at all? You know, where yeah. you, like for us, it's you have a week of, pe- you know, or a day sometimes of people, this seems like everybody's tanking. And then mm-hmm. you're like, am I kidding myself that this is doing anything at all? And it's from what you're getting right there from the person in the moment. And you've just had back to back of, you know, not doing well. And maybe they're suicidal or things have just gotten worse in general. And it's like, am I even, am I even in the right profession some days? I think there's not a therapist on earth who's not had a day like that. And so yeah, that absolutely. level of hopelessness can really get you down. Can either of you speak to that? Like when you feel like that, how you respond, like what gets you through? How do you keep going when you feel like that you're not doing anybody any good? Yeah. You know, I feel like during COVID, maybe it's not a full sense of hopelessness, but I feel like at least once a week, I'm just like, ugh, in a funk and just not... I don't feel like I'm I'm at my best. I I'm not happy like I normally am. I'm not excited and it is just strange. So I mean, I think the main thing for me is to remind myself this will pass. Um if I know anything about myself is that my emotions change quite rapidly and it's not going to be this way forever. Something practical that makes me feel better is to have some fresh flowers in the house. I know that sounds silly, but like to go out in the yard and like pick some flowers, like a little thing to just brighten, brighten something up um, is helpful to me. Um, And just to acknowledge, like, it's okay. It makes sense that you are having a shitty day and you're allowed to have a a bad day. Mm -hmm. But what about when your patients are all getting worse? Oh yeah, that. When you feel like you're just doing the Lord's work, <laughs> I say that sarcastically because sometimes, yes, I feel like I'm I'm not doing anybody any good. I try to remind myself that although I feel like I'm not doing anybody any good, I don't know for sure the impact that I'm having on my patient. Um, just because I observe one thing is only one piece of data, and there's a lot more that I I, I am not privy to. And so trying to remind myself that I don't know everything and sometimes I do not know what being, quote, better looks like for a particular person um, and just hu- trying to humble myself a little bit and that I don't have all the answers is something that helps me. It's almost like we know each other. 
Like it's almost like, <laughs> you know, we just hung out all the time and talked about things because that's exactly the same response that I have. I try to remember that just because I think I'm not helping doesn't mean I'm not helping. And uh, honestly, like I hear your voice in my head whenever I feel that way. Because I'm sure you've taught me that along the road somewhere. What about you? Years ago, I think on internship, I had a supervisor tell me, um, I had gotten a really nice letter from a client as we were wrapping up treatment. And the supervisor told me, keep all of those letters and notes that you get from clients. And when you have an awful day where you feel like you suck as a therapist, that's the day that you get those letters out and you reread them. You get the letters, you get the notes out and you reread them and you let yourself feel good because you are making a difference. You have made a difference. And just because you don't see it today doesn't mean you, you won't see it or the client won't see it. That is such a good point. Such a good yeah. point. Um, so I have a little file of, of these letters that I've gotten um, that's grown over the years, thankfully. And it, yeah, it just, just even thinking about them makes me feel better. Yes. That, that's what I was about to say is, you know, I, I just, sort of flashed in my head with all these little things. I got little trinkets and stuff. I, when I was at the VA, I remember one of the, um, one of the patients made me this, they do like a wood cutting shop or something and made me just this little square, like thing. It was a little art, you know, a little, it was a small thing, but it, it was, it was cool because it was, it meant something, you know, yeah. it was like, thank you so much. And so I've got little things around that sort of show that and, when I went out in private practice on my own, um, I remember I looked over and saw um, I had gotten, a, there was a little symbol thing from one of the vets that I had treated, a combat vet, uh, Vietnam. And I thought, you know what, if, if that person, if, if that guy thought that I did a good job, and I mean, I'm <laughs> not like I, I'm a combat vet or anything, you know, I'm mm-hmm. sitting in this little, 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 little dress on being, you know, a therapist um, talking about how to feel better when I've not been out, you know, and what he had been out in, but, but he told me things that he hadn't told anybody, you know, and if I, if he thought I could do it, then I could deal with anything, you know, it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. So it's things like that, that kept me from being afraid because I had done some good before. So I, I mm-hmm. like that. I will say too, uh, there's, there's been a few times that this has happened, but one sticks out in my memory a few years ago, I was having an awful week and I just felt like I wasn't helping anybody. And I distinctly remember I was sitting waiting for my daughter to get done with gymnastics and I opened my email and my work email, which I try not to do after hours, but that day I did. Um, I opened my work email and there's this email that pops up and I don't recognize the name and I open it up and it was from a former client. It had been like six years before that, that had tracked down my email address. It was one of the toughest clients I'd ever had. And he, this person just wanted to thank me, basically. You, your words have stuck with me all this time. I still use the things, the strategies we've talked about. You've changed my life. Wow. And I sat there sobbing and it just, it changed the entire week, my outlook on the whole week and how, what I had gone through that week um, in, in my therapy with clients. And so it was such a magical, perfect moment for that, for me to receive that email. So amazing. I think that's so important. I'm, I'm of the opinion that if 
if you look for it, sometimes you will see the things like that that you need, just those little breaths when you come up for air to go right mm-hmm. back down, you know, and, and keeping on the lookout for those. I mean, that's a big thing. That's not a little thing. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> that was a huge thing. thing. Yeah, that's a really big thing. Um, that comes around when you need it, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. I think we too, in our profession, maybe not in the medical profession quite as much, um, have the luxury of working with patients for an extended amount of time. So I just was just having a conversation with one of my clients earlier this week about, you know, feeling like, like you're back to where you started, you're doing worse, not doing better. And just being able to take a step back and like looking at the whole picture, not just like since quarantine or like this week, but, Mm -hmm. but to see where you've started versus where you are today. And like, although I would say progress is not linear, I, I do believe there's always a general trend, like we're trending in the right direction. And yeah. so like to take a step back and to examine the whole and not just this moment in time um, is helpful for me. And I hope my patients that I talked to about that too. Yeah, that made me think about, um, you know, it's funny you say we have the luxury of working long-term, but you know, sometimes it's the short-term you know, it's the short-term things that impact somebody. I mean, do you remember that the one patient here came back to me and said, I don't know, this one guy, like, you, you saw him one time. And um, and it just, like, he was, <laughs> Aaron laughed, but he was like, and then he was cured. And so he, like, sent these other people. He was, like, sending these other people. This was years ago. Sometimes you just say something, you know, it's like we can try all we want and we think, oh, you're getting better or all oh, this person quit or all oh, this person's getting worse. But at the end of the day, you just don't know. You don't yeah. know how you impact someone's life or even someone who is a loved one of that someone, how you're impacting someone's life with something small. Um, my daughter, she had, um, she had sinus surgery and she still talks about the, I think it was the nurse that came over, she was so nervous, my daughter was so nervous about, like, just the whole process, just, I couldn't, I I didn't even understand, I was like, what is, why is she so, and she she still talks about this, and me being a psychologist, like, I'm there, right, and I'm not saying the right thing, and it was this nurse that came over and was just, like, super buttery with her, you know, just really... (laughs) You know, the way that you talk in, and, and of course, you know, being the, uh, like a little envious mom, you know, I'm in my head, I'm like, I mean, I could have said that, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I could have said that. I mean, that's just, that's like 101 old school. I'm trying to step it up, you know, but then to see, seeing how she really responded and she just still talks about that. So a small thing in short period of time can last you know, for so long to make a huge impact on someone. I think if there's anything that I hope healthcare providers would take away from this podcast is just that, just the fact of like physically being there for someone, although that's all you may be able to do is sometimes enough. A lot of times it Mm -hmm. is enough. So to not take little things like that for granted because they're not little. Yeah, and Absolutely. I think we would be amiss if we didn't mention, you know, this, the suicides that we've seen in the media and how, mm-hmm. I mean, particularly we work with suicide all, you know, all the time, people who really struggle with chronic suicide, 
um, acute suicidal episodes. Uh, and so hearing that and seeing that, it, it, you know, it's really tough for us to not be able to help. And, and I recognize that right now, you know, the likelihood that people who are on the front lines want to, you know, coming on, on some online therapy or whatever, that, that I get that they wouldn't want to do that. At the same time, I think there's not a mental health professional who would not be honored to, you know, to talk with that, you know, with them. And, you know, I know there's all kinds of groups that are offered for support groups that are free. I know that they're going to need something when it's over, even more so than now. Now they just got it. You know, you don't, like I said, you don't do a whole lot of therapy when they're going out on the field of combat, you know, yep. you don't do a lot of therapy, but you certainly need the therapy afterwards. And so we will definitely be there. But I, I just want to say all of that stuff, like you were saying, Sarah, to focus on that stuff, don't get up in your head about what you think you're doing or not doing. And don't be afraid to disappoint people or piss people off or, you know, whatever it is that you've got to do, you got to be true to your own wise mind. And, and don't get to thinking you're a bad person. That's the dumbest shit ever is when you start thinking that you're a bad person and everybody goes there. Everybody, um, no matter what the thing is, every, everybody goes there and it is not true. That's the biggest lie. Yeah. Bottom line. Interestingly, um, you know, as a therapist, for whatever reason, there's always themes that come up among patients, among clients over the course of a week or a couple of weeks. This week has been, and this makes sense given what's been in the media, but this week among my clients, the suicide aspect has been a huge theme that I've seen. There's so much terror and just general fear and anxiety over the idea of healthcare workers committing suicide because of what they're seeing and that this could happen to them or somebody that they know that it can reach that level because even the people who are working in more rural areas where the cases are not that bad, it's not, they're not overrun. You know, the idea that it could happen is very real. And so being able to see that there are people out there, there are a lot of healthcare workers out there suicidal or committing suicide is has really been terrifying for a lot of my clients this week in particular when you say it's been terrifying for them what is it they're afraid of are they afraid that they're going to feel like that yeah i think well i think them or a coworker or a friend that they work you know somebody that they know yeah um some people who have struggled with feelings of suicide in the past and now are seeing this and are also healthcare workers uh, so it just, there's, again, there's so many layers to this. They're really, they really were struggling this week with that. Yeah. And I, I really hope that if that's the case, you know, if people are thinking about that and it would be, I get, it would be, to me, it would be bizarre to not have that thought cross your mind. Absolutely. Like, mm -hmm. It would, that's just the norm. It would cross your mind. That doesn't mean that, you know, there's, that you, you've got to push it out and just ignore it. And you can talk to somebody about it. And, and especially you want to talk to somebody who is familiar with that sort of thing and not somebody who's going to overreact. I mean, I would venture to say that your DBT people are really used to yeah. um, talking to <laughs> folks who are suicidal. And I know people are afraid to talk about suicide because 
they're afraid they're going to get locked up in the you know mental hospital. I mean, it's the same mm-hmm. sort of fears that military experience, which is if I talk to someone, I'm going to get labeled as, you know, whatever, and I'm going to get, um, I'm going to get taken away with the men and the white coats and the butterfly nets and, you know, or I'm going to be a disgrace. I'm going to be um, humiliated. People are going to think I'm weak, whatever. Your therapist can keep it on the DL, you know, they really can. And uh, unless you're like, Hey, giving some therapist a call and meeting online and you're like, yeah, I'm going to do this right now. They don't have to report anything that's not immediate right now in the moment, acute. And and you need to be talking about it, especially if it's popped up, you know, several times where you're starting to think about like, okay, well, worst case scenario, this is what I'm going to do. You're making a plan. You're thinking about legal stuff talk to somebody, you know, we're not mm-hmm. scared. Um, DVC clinicians aren't scared of those kind of talks and we're not going to overreact. So make sure you reach out. Even if you're reaching out to, you know, suicide hotline, whatever, do your research about, you know, whether they trace your phone or I know there are some places that you can call where if you call and you hang up, they're going to come and, and uh, get you. So you got to check on your, your, the hotlines that are available in your area, the resources that are available in your state, get in touch with somebody and talk to somebody. Is that it? Is that all we got to say about that? <laughs> Nothing like ending on a little suicide note. for <laughs> you know? I'll end on a happy note. Let me, let me just say, you know, everyone's doing the best they can do. You're doing your best and that's all you can do. Yeah, it is. And, and there's no telling how that, t- you know, a teeny little drop of your best can change the pool of everything, you know? Right. Absolutely. And I think also that thinking about all the people out there who are appreciating all the work that these healthcare workers are doing. Yeah. Sure. All right, Angela, thank you so much for coming on and talking with us. Thank um, you for having me. Yeah, and we would love to have you back and talk about other things also. I know that you are our go-to for how to manage, like, parenting little ones um, in a quarantine situation and stuff. Also, our kombucha expert. (laughs) Yes, bring me back to talk to about all of the above, please. Yes, so we would love to have you back um, if you were willing. All All right. right. Absolutely. So um, please feel free to post any questions or comments on this podcast about this one or anything that you want to hear about. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook and all the things and throw us some likes. We'd appreciate it. Yes. And we hope that this has been of some help, someone somewhere. somewhere.